Let's start off with a, um, a light note this morning. Let's play a little Name That Tune. So you wanna, we're going to play a clip here, a few songs, traditional Christmas songs. When you recognize it, you, know, you can compete with the little group that you may be with this morning. Just go ahead and call it out, okay? Let's go ahead and play the first tune. No. Jingle bells, okay. Jingle bells, very good. Uh, you don't have to play the whole clip. Let's go to the next one. These are going to go quick. Rudolph, okay. Frosty the Snowman, good. Next one. Silver bells, yeah, silver bells, very good. Yeah, Silent Night. All right, next one. That's the last one, by the way. Yes. This is Star Wars, and who's entering here? In the this is Darth Vader is coming on the scene. All right, I, that's my favorite one right there. Now, that's not one we traditionally think of at Christmas time. Christmas time is light and airy and celebratory and joyful, and you know that's more of a song that represents dread or risk. Uh, or certainly death. We don't normally associate those with the Christmas story and the Christmas narrative, but maybe we should uh, because it is definitely in there. Now, if we have a lot of guests and family that are here with us this morning. We've been in a sermon series called Home for Christmas, and we've been talking about incorporating different characteristics into our homes that make them God-honoring and, and God-fearing and letting the different characters in the Christmas narrative illustrate those for us. So Joseph and Mary, for instance, the characteristic of obedience. And the shepherds, it's the characteristic of goodness. And the magi, we talked about worship and having those things in our homes. Today, the one I want to talk about is not one we have to work at incorporating into our homes because it's just there naturally as part of the human condition, and that is pain. Pain. I know. I don't know everybody's circumstances in here, but I don't have to to know that there is pain in your life and in your circumstances as well as in mine. But always, always not sweetness and light when Jesus was born in the world, just as it is not now. And so, what I want to talk about today is processing pain at Christmas, and we're going to let the infants of Bethlehem be the ones to illustrate this for us in Matthew chapter two, verse sixteen. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So if you remember, the Magi were looking for Jesus, uh, the newborn babe. They passed through Jerusalem. They interacted with Herod. Herod said that he wanted to go and worship the child when they found him, but of course he didn't. By this time, Herod was an elderly psychopath, you know, schizophrenic, and, and so he just wanted to go and, and kill Jesus. So the Magi finally find him. They are warned by God not to go back to Herod. When Herod finds out, he's furious, and he orders the killing of all baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, in accordance with the time the Magi had told them that they had first seen the star. Uh, historians tell us this would affected, have affected probably 15 to 20 infants there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, just a small village at that time. But just everything else in the Christmas story is, is great. We got the shepherds, we have the magi, the, the angels. It's all celebratory. It's joyful. And here comes Matthew with a bucket of water 
to pour on the scene. But it's a reality check. And the Bible is a book that deals with reality and real lives. And so I want us to say four things this morning about how we process our Christmas pain. Number one, God sees our Christmas pain. God sees our Christmas pain, Matthew 2, 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, the fact that this was prophesied and recorded by God before it ever happened, 800 years before it actually happened, indicates that God is certainly aware of what was going on. God was aware of the pain of these mothers and families and even the children themselves. And in fact, if you look at that prophecy, it has as much to do with the, uh, with the emotions that are being experienced as it does with the event itself. God sees it. He's aware of it. Not only their pain, but our pain as well, the pain that we go through. God is aware of all of that. Uh, in the Old Testament, you remember Abraham and Sarah were promised by God that in their old age, they would have a child. And this child would become a blessing to all nations. And eventually, that's fulfilled through Jesus. But at that time, they began waiting for this to happen, and it didn't happen. And years went by, and it still hadn't happened. And so Sarah, Abraham's wife in desperation, Sarah had a, an Egyptian servant girl named Hagar. And she offered Hagar to her husband Abraham to father a child through Hagar. And maybe she thought that would be the child of promise. And so Abraham married Hagar, and she be Hagar became pregnant. And, but once that happened, enmity sprang up between Sarah and Hagar, and there was great jealousy and envy, and Sarah began to mistreat Hagar. She was going through this frustration, this injustice, this pain, and she fled from their household out into the wilderness. So she's going to die out there in the wilderness. But God comes to her in the form of the angel of the Lord and appears to her and ministers to her. And we read this in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Hagar realized, although she had felt all alone in her pain and isolated, she was not alone. God knew and God saw. And he's, Now, in this particular instance, she was sent back into that situation. That, that's not always the way it's resolved. We like quick fixes to the pain that we experience. It doesn't usually happen that way. Sometimes we have to set a boundary and remove ourselves from a situation. Sometimes a boundary maybe is set for us, or maybe sometimes like Hagar, we're just called to endure and to continue on being faithful. But it helps us to know and helps us to process to know that we are never alone. God sees what we are going through and he understands. Uh, I want to pause right here and let's just say a prayer. I mean, we usually do this at the end of the sermon. And I want to pause right here and say a prayer to God. The word here she uses is El Roy. El means God, R-O-I. Roy is a descriptor of God, the God who sees. Let's pray. Dear God, our El Roy, we thank you for seeing us today. You know what our days are like and for, for some maybe what this week has been like. You know the people who are heavy on our hearts. And we're encouraged to realize that with a huge world of people, 
you know us individually. We pray that you would bring growth into our lives as we behold and believe and trust you evermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Remember that the psalmist writes in Psalm 56, 8 of God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. The second thing I want to say about our Christmas pain right here is that God permits our Christmas pain. Now again, Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So this whole incident did not catch God by surprise. He knew it was coming. Again, it was recorded. It was prophesied. And he did not prevent this from happening. God permits our Christmas pain. This is, um, I mentioned this, and, and we visit this often in our teaching here, or try to, because this is a stumbling block for some people. The problem of pain, meaning unjust suffering in the world, is the reason some people don't believe in God, or at least that's the reason that they give. And there are others who were Christians at one time, but because they experienced some great problem or evil or suffering or pain in their lives, they drift away from God. And the problem of evil is stated this way. It's an ancient problem. The ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus puts it like this. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. Is God able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is God both able and willing? Then why is there evil? That's the problem, and it's hard for us to understand. Part of the answer, and I don't know all of the answer, and this may not be totally satisfying to everyone, but part of the problem of evil and why God permits bad things to happen to us is free will. God is a free will being, but he has created a world in which there are other free will beings who have agency. Namely, those are angels and human beings. And as you know, we are able to use our free will to choose good and, and obedience to God or to choose evil and rebellion against God. Probably most of the time we're choosing to obey God and follow God, but not all of the time. And certainly not in the past. Everybody has chosen to obey God. And that results in consequences, and they're real consequences. And in order for there to be free will with real consequences, God limits himself and he permits things to happen in this world that he does not necessarily want to happen. One of the things that was available to purchase uh, as a present at Christmas time was called the Re Rewalk Robot. Now this is one of those toys, the Rewalk Robot, that you can speak to it and put it on record mode and it will record what you say and then play it back to you. So I could have gotten one of these for myself and programmed it with my own voice. As soon as I walk in the door, say, welcome home, Steve. I love you, Steve. You have great hair today, Steve. I could have done that. I didn't do that. And you may say, doesn't Tammy do that for you every day? Well, not every day. And most people aren't going to get a rewalk robot and live with that to satisfy what they need in their life because it's Obviously, there's no emotion there. It's just a robot. And some people ask, why did, why did God create a world like this where there was even the risk, the potential of suffering? Why was he willing to create that kind of a world? In fact, there have been skeptics who are critics of God who said if there was the, the possibility and the potential that one child would suffer, and suffer injustice in their life. 
then God should have never created at all. Why would he take that risk? And again, I don't know all the answers, and the Bible does not really specify that answer directly, but we can infer what God's motive may have been from the greatest commandment, because it is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And since that's the greatest commandment, that is what God wants from us in, in His love. And in creating, it would seem, God wanted a world. He wanted a world of free will creatures whom He could bless and upon whom He could shower His goodness and who could of their own free will return to God love. Basically a family. God wanted, He wanted, didn't need, He had perfect fellowship, the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son, but wanted that free will loving family. Now, for some people, that, that's not good enough. Maybe they've been hurt so badly, they say, well, you know, I still, I'm not going to let God off the hook. And, and they judge God in that respect. And it, it is somewhat of an insoluble problem. Like I said, we don't have all the answers. I would say there's not much that's satisfying and judging God in that respect. A person's still going to have their pain, and there's not much way to resolve it outside of a faith and a belief in a good God, as, as we shall see, because there are some other answers that we are going to get to. But... I also think we ought to remember this. Before we would judge God, not that anybody here is doing that, but some people do, and it's a barrier, that if we ourselves brought children into this world, we made a very similar choice to what God made. Because we knew in bringing children into this world, in a very real sense, in having children, we're creating children, that they might suffer, our children might hurt, might experience pain, and might experience death. And really, I shouldn't even use that qualifier of might. Because while with God it was a risk, things didn't necessarily have to go that way in the Garden of Eden with free will. Adam and Eve could have been obedient in all their progeny, and we would be living in a very different kind of a world right now. So with God, it was just the potential for evil. But with us, it's a guarantee that when we bring children in this world, they are going to experience those things. And yet we, many of us, did. We did. Why? Same kind of reason. We want family. We want there to be that free will love in our lives. So maybe we ought not to judge God too harshly. But I'm just going to say, God permits our Christmas pain. Number three, third thing I want to say this morning is God enters into our Christmas pain. He enters into it after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, this is the incarnation of the third person of the Godhead. The Word became flesh. In being born into this world, Jesus entered into our pain. Now, we didn't have a choice on being born. We just were born. But Jesus had a choice, and He chose to enter into this world. Very difficult, very hard life. And Jesus was born not into a wealthy family, but into a poor family. He had to move with his family when he was a young infant over to Egypt because there were still those who were seeking his life. In his three and a half year public ministry, he was harassed, persecuted the entire time, and then died a violent death. He entered into all of that voluntarily because he wanted to enter into our pain. George Lawler writes, Our Lord Jesus Christ in becoming man entered into the experience of human limitation and weakness, impoverishment, human dependence and subjection. This was in singular contrast with the glory and abundance he possessed in the form of God. When we look at the incarnation, 
and then ultimately at the cross. We still may not know all the answers to the problem of evil and why God permits our pain and our suffering, but we know what the answer is not. The answer is not that God doesn't care or that God doesn't love us. We know God loves us. In Isaiah chapter 53, we have this description of Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Why? What was the deep grief that Jesus experienced? Well, he knew the grief of death and loss. You think about these 15 to 20 infants who were killed in Bethlehem. Have you ever wondered how Jesus must have felt when he got old enough to understand, whatever age that was, that his birth was the occasion of their death, that collateral damage, how that must have impacted him, how that must have broken his heart. Acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Let me read you a really strong quote here this morning from uh, Church of Christ commentator Jim McGuigan about this idea, God entering into our pain. He writes, if my children were starving to death, bellies distended, eyes sunken, too weak to cry, but able yet to beg with their eyes for food of me, their father, who could provide nothing, if that were the case, I'd remain unconvinced that God didn't love me. If I had a wife who was being raped and humiliated before my very eyes, and if her cries for help were going up endlessly to her husband who could only watch in frustration, this would not convince me that God isn't good. And if they were torturing me until I was on the verge of insanity, and if I pleaded with earnestness to God to bring this all to a halt and prayed to no avail, this would not convince me that God doesn't love me. Let no man say, because of war, famine, and disease, I can't believe in a good and loving God. Let him look back to Golgotha and see the divine exhibition which took place in the midst of war, cursing, and wickedness, to the time and place where God said, I do love you. I will always love you. Trust me. And then one final thing about our pain is that God redresses our Christmas pain. Now, to redress is to make it right, to put it right, to correct it. Matthew 2.19, when Herod died, Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There are at least two ways that God redresses our pain. Number one is through judgment. Uh, when Herod died, eventually Herod's the one who's responsible, ultimately his evil, 
for the, the death of these babies. And after he died, he stood before God. He's going to stand before God in judgment. Now again, I, I don't know what Herod's heart was like when he died. Historically, we have no indication that he repented or had a change of heart, had any kind of remorse. But the fact that there is a, a judgment before God, the only one who's qualified to administer a judgment, the only one who understands all of what we would call mitigating circumstances, but taking those into consideration will administer a fair and impartial judgment. That very fact is the thing that allows us in the midst of injustice that happens in our lives or maybe to our families to have a degree of peace and even to forgive. Because God says vengeance is mine. He's qualified to handle it and we don't have to. Matthew 18, Jesus said, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones, these children, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Without judgment, the Herods of this world would get away with that, but they don't. And the other way that God redresses our pain is through resurrection, reunion, and reward. The prophecy that Matthew quoted is Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In its original context, back in Jeremiah's day, what's being referred to there is the children who were carried off, the Israelite children, carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. Assyria attacked Israel, carried off the people into captivity, including these little children. And so Jeremiah was talking about these mothers are weeping for their children being carried off into captivity. What's interesting is that chapter, Jeremiah chapter 31, is a very rich chapter. And that verse 15, Jeremiah 31, 15, about Ramah weeping, is surrounded both before and after with verses about the promises of God to return those children back to Israel and to comfort those weeping mothers. Let me give you a sample. Jeremiah 31, 13 through 17, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. They, meaning her children, will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants. Your children will return. What happened to those infants in Bethlehem? When they died. Well, they immediately went to paradise. And today, they are in the very presence of God. The parents of those infants, if they had faith, and we have every reason to believe that they did, they were all Israelite women and men. Uh, the parents of those children, if they had faith, when they died, joined their children in paradise. And one day, when Jesus returns, there'll be a resurrection in the Spirit's of those little children will have bodies once again. Resurrection, reunion, and reward. Now, Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven, his great book on heaven, speculates that children who have died as children in, in this life may be allowed to be raised by their Christian parents to some median age in the next life, in heaven. 
We don't know that. That's pure speculation. But I like it. It seems to reflect and resonate with the gracious character and nature of God. But what we do know is that all children who die go to heaven. And that all Christian parents will be reunited with them. And, And there's all kinds of grief and pain. So this one deals with the loss of a child, which I believe is the greatest loss. But there are any premature death when someone passes before their time, that's grief. There's also the pain of separation. And there's the pain of divorce. And there's the pain of financial pressure. There's the pain of stress. And psychologists, some say that this time, Christmas season, is the most stressful time of all. All kinds of pain is addressed by God in the next life. Resurrection, reunion, and reward. But I ran across this poem, and I wanted to close with it. It's entitled, My First Christmas in Heaven. I see the countless Christmas trees around the world below, with tiny lights like heaven stars reflecting on the snow. The sight is so spectacular, please wipe away the tear, for I'm spending Christmas with Jesus Christ this year. I hear the many Christmas songs that people hold so dear, but the sounds of music can't compare with the Christmas choir up here. I have no words to tell you the joy their voices bring, for it is beyond description to hear the angels sing. I know how much you miss me. I see the pain inside your heart, but I'm not so far away. We really aren't apart. So be happy for me, dear ones. Please do not live in fear and be glad I'm spending Christmas with Jesus Christ this year. I sent you each a special gift from my heavenly home above. I sent you each a memory of my undying love. After all, Love is a gift more precious than pure gold. It was always most important in the stories Jesus told. So have a Merry Christmas and wipe away that tear. Remember I'm spending Christmas with Jesus Christ this year. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, uh, there is much joy during this season and we have much for which to be thankful and to praise you and bless you and we certainly do. Your goodness to us is more than we deserve. And we know that you, we, we never suffer quite as much as we could because you are with us and mitigating the consequences of our sin and other people's sin and, and the evil in this world. But even still, we do experience it to a degree. And we pray as people who have brokenness and heartache and pain and suffering in our lives, we pray, God, that we do trust you. And we ask you through your Holy Spirit to to be ministering comfort and grace and peace and love to we who need it during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.